0: As few as please, pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now please stay standing for today's scripture reading. John 19, 16 through 30. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: In that scripture, Uh, Jesus said two things. He actually spoke three things in John 19, but two things that we highlighted. From the cross, Jesus said, I thirst, and he said, it is finished. Uh, One of the most core beliefs uh, in Christianity is that Jesus, Jesus is fully God, 100% divine. The Nicene Creed says that he is true God from true God. But Jesus, we believe, is also at the same time fully human, 100% human. The Nicene Creed says he came down from heaven and was made man, fully God, fully human. The theological word for this is hypostatic union. Don't let that intimidate you. It means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And compared to other world religions, this is unique. This is unique, this belief that God himself became a man. And today I want us to consider the beauty and the importance of such a belief. Why does it matter and what hope does it give our lives that we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man? There is an old coming of age movie that I remember when I was a teenager. I don't. Does anybody my age remember the movie Angus? Uh, it wasn't a big popular movie, but it was a. It was about a teenage boy named Angus Bethune, and uh, Angus was bullied in school. He was shy. He was insecure. He desperately wanted. The courage to stand up for himself. He he fantasized about standing up to the school bully, and and prom was coming up. This was sort of the the it was building to the moment of prom in this movie, and he just wanted the courage to ask out Melissa LeFevre. He just wanted to ask her to dance, just one dance with Melissa LaFever. But he was so afraid, so afraid to take on the bully. And the bully was uh, James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek, remember him? But he was so afraid, he was so afraid to stand up to the bully, and he was so afraid to ask Melissa LaFever to dance with him. He was timid. And there's this scene where he's lamenting his lack of courage and he's lamenting his lack of confidence who, to his grandfather, who was played by the incredible George C. Scott. And his grandfather says to him, he says, Angus, Superman is not brave. And Angus says to him, Grandpa, did you take your pills this morning? What are you talking about? Superman isn't brave. And his grandfather laughs and he says, you don't understand, Angus, Superman is smart. Yes, he's handsome, decent even, but he's not brave. No, Angus, listen to me, Superman is indestructible. And you can't be brave if you're indestructible. It's people like you, Angus, people who are different, people who can be crushed and they know it yet they keep on going out there every time. That's bravery. And I still think about this scene all the time because I think when it comes to my faith, at least, I often think of God, I conceptualize God only in the categories that are powerful and other. So I think of God as all-powerful, and I think of God as the creator of the universe, and I think of God as the sustainer of all things. I think of God as the one who brings forth justice, and all of these things are certainly true of God. They are true of God, but often when you conceptualize God only in these ways, you think of him only, you think of him like Superman. He's indestructible, and I can revere a God who is indestructible. I can fear a God who is indestructible. I can obey a God like this. I can even worship a God like this. But to be honest, a conception of God like this falls short when I face struggles and when I face trials. Because we all have moments like Angus Bethune, where the struggles of life feel like they're piling up on us and we feel like we're, we're looking for courage to face our trials. And if we only think of God like Superman as indestructible, then what strength can God offer us in those moments where we feel like we're being destroyed by life? This is why I believe Jesus is so compelling. Why Jesus of Nazareth is so compelling. I think this is one of the most compelling and most beautiful tenets of the Christian faith, that God became a human. He was indestructible. (laughs) God was indestructible, but he made himself destructible so that we can know him, so that we can trust him, so that we can love him, so that we can follow him. You see, in Jesus, God himself knows what it is like to be crushed by the trials of this world. He knows. And today is Palm Sunday. This is a day in the Christian calendar where we are entering Holy Week, meaning that we are reflecting on the crucifixion of Jesus. And on the cross, there are two things happening at once. There is a physical reality where we see the humanity of Jesus on full display, And there is a spiritual reality where we see the divinity of Jesus on full display. So when Jesus says, I thirst, he literally means, I'm thirsty. He's fully human in that moment. We see his humanity on full display. He's one of us. He's thirsty. But when Jesus says, it is finished... We see that Jesus is God. We see his divinity on full display. He is fulfilling a mission from his father in the world. It is finished. He's fully God. He's fully God and he's fully man all at the same time. And here's why this is good news. And this is what I want you to see this afternoon. Because Jesus is 100% like us, he can sympathize with us and he can understand the pain of being human. But because Jesus is 100% God, he's powerful enough to do something about our pain. He's powerful enough to save us and deliver us from the pain of being human. And this is what I want us to consider together as a church today. The humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus and what it means for us. So the first thing I want us to consider for a moment is the humanity of Jesus. He is God, Jesus is fully human. He says, I thirst And at this point in the gospel of John, John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross. When Jesus speaks these words, I thirst, he's been on the cross for about six hours. He likely hasn't had any water for over 24 hours. He probably hasn't had water since he was praying in Gethsemane with his disciples. It was hot. uh, The sun was beating down on him all day as he was being crucified, He he had been sweating. He had been bleeding. He was dehydrated. He was thirsty. He was human. He experienced the pain of crucifixion, and that pain included complete dehydration. And do you know why this is important? That God experienced thirst. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with every single one of our weaknesses. Thirst is a weakness, and Jesus says, I've experienced it. There is something so powerful and so comforting when someone else has been through what you're going through, isn't it? There's something, uh, there's something comforting when there is someone who knows the specific type of pain you're going through. When you're around someone who's been through a similar situation as you, you can let your guard down, can't you? You feel free you feel you can be fully yourself and you don't have to be ashamed of whatever your struggle or your trial is Because if if you're in the presence of someone who's been through the same thing, you don't have to pretend anymore You can be yourself. You can be free of judgment I think I mean This applies to any sort of struggle you're going through Are you a special needs parent trying to raise a child that has special needs? That's hard and as a special needs parent myself, I t- I'm telling you, there is a value in special needs parents' communities <laughs> because you can get around parents who just, they know the struggle and you can be yourself around them. Maybe you've been through a divorce and there's something comforting about someone who's been through a divorce as well and you can... You, you, you can just be yourself around that person because they know the pain and they know the struggle. Maybe you've been through a particular kind of sickness or cancer and being around someone who's been through the same thing, there's comfort in that. Maybe you've experienced some form of racism or prejudice and being around someone who's like you that's experienced the same thing, there's comfort in that. Maybe, whatever it is, whatever trial you've been through, we all know that when we're with someone who's been through the same thing, there's comfort in that. And Hebrews 4:16 says, we can approach God with that kind of comfort and with that kind of confidence, because He knows our pain. He's all of your weaknesses. He has gone through the exact same things, no matter what it is. Jesus, though He was fully God, became fully like us. This means we have a God that we can relate to. He's not distant. He's not far off somewhere as some deity looking down on us. He is with us, and he knows what it's like to live in our shoes. Jesus uh, was poor. Are you struggling to pay rent today? Are you one utility bill that's higher than you expected away from not knowing how the budget's going to work? Jesus understands how you, how you feel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that for our sake, Jesus became poor. Have you faced prejudice? Whether it's ethnic prejudice, racial prejudice, socioeconomic prejudice. You know what they said about Jesus? Pfft, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. How could something good come from somebody like that? Have you experienced prejudice? He knows what that feels like. Are you lonely? You know Jesus was never married he never had children. I told this to someone one time who was struggling with the loneliness that comes with not being married, not having children. And they said, well, that was Jesus. He was strong enough to handle that kind of loneliness. He was, no way he was bothered by that stuff. I said, he was human, just like you. And to be human is to have longings for companionship and, 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 and relationships like that. He, what makes you think he wouldn't have felt That kind of loneliness. He was tempted just as you and I. He is able to sympathize with every single one of our weaknesses. Have you ever been mocked or bullied or made fun of? Jesus died with a sign over his head that said, This is the King of the Jews. That was a mocking sign. Have you ever been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends who sold him off for a few coins. Have you ever lost someone you loved? John eleven thirty five says that Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus who died. It's likely because in all the gospel accounts of the cross, Jesus' father Joseph wasn't there, which probably most I mean virtually all scholars agree that that means that Jesus, uh, his father, died sometime in his lifetime. Have you lost a parent? Jesus likely knows what that feels like. Do you feel ugly? Do you feel unattractive? Isaiah 53 says that Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus got dehydrated. (laughs) Just like I did yesterday, running up and down that hill in a Sonic the Hedgehog costume. (laughs) Jesus got thirsty. You know, there are people in the world right now that are thirsty, that don't have clean drinking water. I think of the community that we partner with in the Dominican Republic, helping them build water filtration systems. Why do we do that? Because Jesus cares for the dehydrated (laughs) because he knows what it's like, literally. He has compassion on them because he literally understands their thirst at the most core level. Many times uh, as a pastor, people will come to me and they'll share their problems and they'll say, "Uh, uh, uh, but but I I know you could just never understand pastor. And I say, you're right. I might not be able to understand but Jesus can he knows your pain Jesus knows what it's like to live as a hurt human in a hostile world whatever you've been through whoever you are and whatever your story he understands there's a poem that I came across years ago that has stuck with me and I I, to the life for the life of me I can't find who the author is with any accuracy but the poem is called The Long Silence, and it goes like this. It says, at the end of time, billions of people were seated before God's throne, and most of them shrank back from the brilliant lights before the, the light, brilliant light before them. But some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with cringing shame, but with belligerence. They said, can God judge us? How can he know about our suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open her sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. I endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. What could God know about my struggle? In another group, an African-American boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd, there was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. "'Why should I suffer?' she murmured. "'It wasn't my fault.'" Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in his world. "'How lucky God was to live in heaven, where all was sweetness and light,' they said. "'Where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that that humanity had been forced to endure in this world?' For God sure seems to live a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most. A Jew, an African-American, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a cancer-stricken child. And in the center of the vast plain, they consulted with one another. At last, they were ready to present their case, and it was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew, they said. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think of him as out of his mind. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. And at the last, they let him see, at last, let him then see what it means to be terribly alone. Let him die so there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify his death. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing the sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word. No one moved. For suddenly, all knew that God had already served his sentence." You see, we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Superman may not be brave because it's hard to be brave when you're indestructible. That's not bravery. That's indestructibility. (laughs) But Jesus knows what it means to be crushed. And we can look to him in our pain because he feels it with us. Even if no one else in your life knows what it feels like, he does. I thirst Jesus said, because Jesus is 100% like us, he understands our struggles. He is fully human, but he's also fully God. He said, it is finished. Because Jesus is 100% like us, he can understand our pain, but because Jesus is 100% unlike us, he has the power to do something about our pain why he says it is finished. The mission has been accomplished. Your sin has been paid for. Your deliverance has been made possible through the cross and through the resurrection. And what's fascinating is at the very moment that Jesus said, I thirst, he said it because he was thirsty, yes, but the scripture also says that he said it for another reason. Verse 28 says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, I thirst, you see, all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, there are prophecies about what kind of death the Messiah would die. And up to this point, on the cross, Jesus has fulfilled every single one of them. Psalm 41 says that Jesus would be betrayed by a, by a close friend. Zechariah 13, 7 says that, G, that the Messiah would be forsaken by his disciples. Psalm 35, 11 says that the Messiah would endure false accusations. Isaiah 53, 7 says that the Messiah would be silent before his critics. Psalm 22:16 16 says that the Messiah would be crucified on a cross. Psalm 109.25 says that Jesus would, or the, the Messiah would be mocked by spectators. Psalm 22.18 says that the spectators would gamble for the Messiah's clothes. Isaiah 53.12 says that the Messiah would be crucified among sinners. And Isaiah 53.12 also says that the Messiah at that very moment would pray for his enemies. Every single one of these things Jesus fulfilled on the cross, yet Jesus's death was perfectly aligned with the prophesied death of the Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures, but there was one last thing that he must do on the cross. Psalm 69, 21 says, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And the point is this, Jesus, fully God, was fully in control fully aware of the task before him, knowing that he needed that drink of sour wine for the scripture to be fulfilled, said to his executioners, I'm thirsty. And verse 29 says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And at that moment, the prophecies had been fulfilled. The Messiah had come and he said, it is finished. And what's so fascinating about the fact that they put the wine on a hyssop branch and put it to his lips is because in the Exodus account, at the Passover, the people of God, what were, they, they were, they were when the angel of death passed over the, the people of God in the Exodus account, they were saved. How? By taking a hyssop branch and spreading the blood of a sacrificial lamb over the doorpost. See, God delivered the Israelites from slavery and from bondage by a hyssop branch spreading the blood of a Passover lamb on the doorposts. And those whose homes was covered in the blood of the lamb, they were saved from the angel of death and they were delivered from the bondage of slavery. You see, the Passover lamb was slaughtered so that the people could be delivered from the bondage of their pain and of their sin and of their slavery. And Jesus, that that, that hyssop branch touched his lips. He took the sour wine. He's the Messiah fulfilling the prophecy. And the blood that was pooling down from his lips hit that hyssop branch. He was the Passover lamb. He died. He shed his blood to deliver us from the bondage of our sin, our shame, our struggles, our pain, our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. It is finished, he cried. In John chapter 4, there's a story where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. And he discovers that she's had, or he knows, he's Jesus, he knew knows what's in every heart. He knows that uh, she has five husbands. She's had five husbands. And the guy she was living with at that time, uh, she isn't married to. And in the first century, this was scandalous. It probably meant that she was searching for something. Five marriages, she was searching for companionship. She was searching for a relationship and she couldn't find it. The first husband didn't fulfill her. The second husband didn't fulfill her. The third husband didn't fulfill her. Maybe, there was, uh, there were the, maybe the husband left. But what she was searching, and it was relationship after relationship after relationship. And the sixth one, she said, you know what? I'm not, getting in. I'm, I'm not doing this marriage thing again. I'm just going to live with this guy. Even though in the first century, that was incredibly scandalous. And she goes and she's looking for water in the well. And Jesus walks up, she comes to the, and she came to the well at that time of day because no one else would have been there, and she wanted to avoid others because they would look down on her with shame and with scorn, and so she comes to the well at a time of day when nobody else would have been around, and then here comes this Jewish man, and she's thinking, oh no, a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman, what is this guy going to say to me? And he leans over to her, and he says, hey, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But Jesus wasn't talking about the water in the well. He, wasn't, he was talking about all those things she was chasing after. She was thirsting for companionship. She was thirsting for her shame to be lifted. She was thirsting to be loved. She was thirsting to be accepted. And Jesus says to her, that water's not going to satisfy you, you, you. Sixth husband, whatever, you'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What are you thirsty for? Jesus is the living water. He is fully God and he can fully satisfy and he can fully deliver you. Because Jesus is human, this is the point today. Because Jesus is fully human, he understands our thirst. He understands, he gets it. But because Jesus is God, he can quench our thirst. He can do something about it. And do you see the power and the beauty and the glory and the hope in this? Because if Jesus was only God, he'd be powerful. But how could he be sympathetic if he never experienced it? But that's Superman, right? But if Jesus was merely a man, only a man... He could be sympathetic, but he wouldn't be powerful enough to do anything about it. He'd be weak like the Wizard of Oz, little man behind the curtain. (laughs) But because Jesus is both powerful, because he is fully God, and because Jesus is fully man, he knows our pain, and we can come to him in our pain. We can come to him with confidence in our pain, and he can comfort us in our pain because he's been through it, but he can also do something about it because he's God, and he's powerful enough to deliver us. See, there's beauty and there's power and there's glory and there's hope in this doctrine that God is fully God and He's fully man. So I ask you today, what are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for a friend? Are you lonely? The cross shows us that Jesus is with you and He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Are you thirsty for shame to be lifted? Are you thirsty for guilt over something in your past to be removed? Jesus has covered your mistakes. He no longer counts those against you. He is calling you to a new life. Are you thirsty for deliverance from an addiction or a habit? Jesus is your Passover lamb. He died not only so that you could be forgiven, but so that you could be delivered from bondage. See, there are some things that we all have to deal with in this life, things that are painful, and we are thirsty... For them to be taken away. Chronic pain, cancer, having to live with scars from abuse. And because Jesus was fully human, we can look to him even when it feels like we can look to no one else. He is a friend who understands our pain and he weeps with us and suffers with us. But because Jesus is fully God, we can trust that he actually has the power to do something about it. Jesus is the lamb, he is our shepherd. And because Jesus thirsted on the cross, he can guide us to living water. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because Jesus is fully human, he understands our pain. And because Jesus is fully God, he can save us from our pain. Revelation twenty two seventeen gives us a great invitation. It says, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. See, on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. In that moment, he's fully human and he understands all of your pain. But after he says, I thirst, he says, it is finished. See, he's fully God and he pays the price to deliver you and to raise you to new life. Let me pray for you, Crossroads. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, your one and only son. who though he was equal with you, he did not count equality with you a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. We thank you that Jesus left the glories of heaven to come down and experience the horrors of earth. And because Jesus has walked with us, he can comfort us in our pain. Because Jesus is sitting at your right hand, he can deliver us from our pain. And so God, we thank you for the humanity of Jesus and we thank you for the power of Jesus. And the humanity of Jesus allows us to see you as a friend and the power of Jesus allows us to see you as our Savior. And so we thank you that you are those things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.